Praise God. Well, this morning we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to continue on our discussion on the, the culture here at Living Hope Family Church. And we talked last week about being a, a people who are saved by grace as the culture of Living Hope Family Church. And today I want to talk about having a culture of worship. And, uh, you know, the worth of anything is determined by how much someone is willing to pay for it. I mean, if you've ever looked at, like, the antique road shows, have you guys ever seen that show that comes on TV and they're... they're but looking at this worth, you're like, oh, how do they determine how much something is worth? But the truth is, the worth of anything is just how much is someone willing to pay for it. Do you know when they, they uh, put a price on your house, when you go to get your, your house appraised, the one thing the appraiser does is he looks in your neighborhood and see what houses in your area have sold for. And they, it's kind of funny, but it's actually your, the price of your house is actually determined by what somebody else was willing to pay for a house similar to yours. And the same thing with anything. I was reading a story about this guy who uh, paid 500 bucks to have Joe Montana throw him a football. <laughs> or no, it was, yeah, 150 bucks, I think. 150 bucks for have Joe Montana throw him a football. And it was worth it to him just to say that one of the, the greatest quarterbacks of all time, he's a Hall of Famer, threw me a, a football and I caught it. And it was worth it to me to pay $150 for that. I like Joe Montana. Actually, I think he's the greatest quarterback of all time. However, I'm not paying 150 bucks to have him throw me a ball. <laughs> but worth is what is determined by how much someone is willing to pay for you. And when you put that in mind, you begin to see what God considered your worth to be. Because what was he willing to pay for you? He gave his son. He gave himself. He sent his son to the cross. And we see that that's what God has valued us as, is his very own son's life. And as a natural response to that, not as something that we feel we, we, we owe him or that we have to do, but as a natural response, we should give him worship and honor him for what he's done because he valued us so much. In return, we should value him. And then all through the Bible, as we look at the different stories, we see that, that in the Bible, worship is not just a, a temporary block of time. You know, I think in the, the modern church, a lot of times everyone sees worship as that first half hour before the service which is really just such a, a fantastic time for, for you to have your hearts ready and prepared to, to receive God as you begin to get into a spirit of worship. You're, you're just prepared to receive his word. But worship is not a time block. Worship is actually should be a way of life, and you see it in the Bible. Everything that they did as they went throughout their life, when things were going good, they worshiped God. When things were going bad, they worshiped God. And it was part of who they were, not just a tick mark on their what I did today. And finally, what I think is really important is that we teach our children how to worship. And that's something you'll see this, this morning. The children are out here with us, and they get to watch us worship. And they learn from their parents, and they begin to see what real worship is about. And it may even I give you an opportunity to teach your kids to ask you, why, why do you raise your hands? Why do, you, why do you sing to God? Why do you say these things to Him? And, and we get to, to tell them that story of what He did for us. And as a response, this is what we do to Him. So a couple quick definitions. Worship is reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred personage or to any object regarded as sacred. You know, the word worship is actually shortened from the ancient word worship. It's how much something is worth to you. And this, this reverence doesn't just have to be in corporate worship. Corporate worship is when we all get together and we begin to sing songs to God and, and we give Him glory and honor, and that's a fantastic thing. And you'll see different things happen in corporate worship. There's a different anointing in corporate worship, but this reverence, this honor that we give to God is not just that one time in corporate worship. You should be giving honor and worship to God throughout your life, throughout your day, all day long. And we'll actually look that it, it says continually in the Bible is where it describes our our worship to him. And last week we talked about uh, cultures, the behaviors and beliefs, characteristics of a, a particular people or a group. And that's what we're talking about today. This is, we want worship to be a defining characteristics of who we are at Living Hope Family Church. We want people, when they talk about us, to say those are people that love and worship God. And finally, homage. Uh, when we're talking about this reverent honor and homage, homage is something done or given an acknowledgement or consideration of worth of another. And to pay homage is just to give something. That's when you give someone your time. You give someone money. You give someone, you know, something that belongs to you that you give in honor of who they are. Now, the first thing I want to look at is what's the difference between true worship and hollow worship? 
In Mark 7, 6 through 7, it says, And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You know, when, when Jesus is talking to the Jews of the day at the time, the problem that he had with them is they weren't really worshiping. They were just putting on a show. And it actually says, The people honors me with their lips, but the heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. They were actually using this worship as a cover to teach what they wanted to teach. And you see a lot of tradition being evolved at that time. And, and these Jewish men were, were trying to put forth this, this is how you have to act to be, to be righteous, to be of God. But it wasn't precepts of God. It was actually stuff that they wanted to teach. It was stuff that they wanted to see be done, manipulation. And it says that they're doing this worship to kind of cover that up. I actually like how Mark 7, 7 in the Message Bible is read. In verse 7 it says, They act like they are worshiping, worshiping me, but they don't mean it. They just use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy. And I don't know about you guys, but that's definitely not something I want said of me. I never want someone coming to me and say, You hypocrite. You know, on Sunday morning you worship God, but throughout the rest of the week you just kind of do whatever you want. The stuff that you do is not honoring to God. I would never want that said to me, and it's definitely not what we want said of Living Hope Family Church. And as people that are part of Living Hope Family Church, I don't believe that's who we are. Also, worship is, is more than just singing. You know, we come in on, on Sunday mornings and we sing and we, we give, give God honor, but worship is so much more than that. That's just kind of an act. It's something we do to show honor. But worship is actually an attitude in your heart. It's actually a, uh, an attitude that you have that you're giving God honor for everything throughout your life. And it's not so much what you do, but it's that attitude that you have behind what you do that makes sense. We also find that we... Should we worship even when we don't feel like? You guys ever have a morning where you get up and you're just like, man, it's those those mornings where you're like, good morning, Lord, and then you have the other mornings where you're like, oh, good Lord, it's morning. You guys ever have that feeling? I know I have it from time to time. You know, you got that something on your shoulder like, oh, you should just call in today. This is all, you know, you're fighting with yourself. But and there's days you just don't feel like worshiping. There's days that I get up. And I'm the pastor, and I don't feel like giving God honor. I just want to check out. I don't want to deal with this. But that attitude of heart, that's when you overcome that, and you decide to worship and get God glory anyway. And finally, something that is so important in worship is you're going to find breakthroughs happen in your life when you worship. You're going to find those areas that you're struggling with, that you're dealing with, areas maybe need healing in your body or you're, or you're struggling with something. That, that's the time when you're really going to break through and have that experience with God. Because when you are worshiping God, you're throwing everything out of the way and removing everything between you and Him. And you get to see God move in amazing ways in those situations. The next thing I want to talk about is making sure we're not worshiping for the wrong reasons. In Galatians 1.10, it says, for, I, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. As I was doing the research on, on worship and preparing this sermon, I came across this survey that says that three in five churchgoers said music was one of their prime considerations in selecting a place of worship. Three in five people go to a church just for the music. Now, I'm all for having good worship music. I mean, I like a little bit loud music. I like a little bit more rock style music. And it's okay. You know, there's churches that do hymns and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with, with going to a church based on their style of worship. As long as that's not the only reason you're going there. I mean, if it's just for the style of music and not for actually putting you in an attitude of worship. The reason I like that kind of music is I find that's easier for me to enter into an attitude of worship with that kind of music, and that's why I like it. And we also have to understand that, that worship is not entertainment. Now, I know you guys aren't coming here for entertainment. I'm a little guy, one guy up here with a, with a guitar, no microphone. But, you know, there's a lot of these mega churches, and they have, even the church that we come from, and their stuff is awesome. Big old speakers in the ceiling. They got, you know, the electric guitarist, the bassist. They got a drummer, keyboard, guitar, multiple singers. And it's really incredible to watch the talent of this team. But you really have to watch out that are we going there to watch a concert 
or are we going there to let them lead us into worship? And finally, in worship, we should be participants and not just observers. We're not just going to watch a show, but we should be participating. Go ahead and sing. You know, sing to God. But I don't, but I don't have a good voice. Who cares? No one's here to listen to you sing. And to God, it doesn't matter. God's not listening to the quality of your voice. The quality of your worship does not have anything to do with the quality of your, your, your voice or if you're on tempo or, or any of that stuff. God doesn't care about that. God cares that you're willing to just show him honor and give him glory no matter what you sound like. We also should make sure that we're worshiping the right direction. And this is very, very, very important as we go out through our lives. In Exodus 20, 4 through 5, it says, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth, beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on children and the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. You know, this is talking about, I don't know if you remember in the Old Testament, Moses goes up to the, to the mountain to spend time with God, and he's gone for a little while, and then Aaron... All the congregation says, well, Moses is gone, and we don't have our connection to God. Make for us a God that we can serve. <laughs> it's actually really humorous to me, because Aaron goes and gathers up all this gold, and he, and he throws in the fire, and he forms this golden calf, and they all begin to worship. And then God tells Moses, yeah, you better get down there. They're doing stupid. So Moses goes down there, and Moses is like, Aaron, what are you doing? So I don't know. I just I threw the gold in a fire, and it came out. <laughs> That's actually what he says. Don't blame me. I just put it in there and it came out. And I, but what they did is they put something to worship instead of God. And uh, I, I find it humorous just the, the excuses of men because I've done, oh, I've had better excuses than that. But, uh, you know, he said, but they're worshiping something else instead of God. They're putting something else first. And this is where all of us, all of us modern time folks go, well, I don't worship a statue. I don't. I didn't, I've never made a, a golden emblem to put before God up on my mantle that I give, that I give honor to. But are there any things you do put in front of God? Do you put work in front of God? Do you put your wife in front of God? Oh, that's a tough one. Your wife. I mean, you should honor your wife with everything that you have, but God should always come first. Your children. What comes first? Everything that you put in front of God is something you're worshiping over Him. I was actually, we were watching a show uh, uh, yesterday about this. Uh, it's called. Have you guys ever heard of the show Wife Swap? Ridiculous show. I don't know why. They, I don't know why we're watching it. But <laughs> anyway, the idea is that they switch wives to, to to live the life of somebody else to see how somebody else lives. But this ladies got this couch. It's this white cream color couch, and the, in the manual that the one wife gives to the other, it says, do not sit on my couch. Nobody sits on my couch. And it's this couch. You know, it's, it's perfect. It's beautiful. There's not a stain. There's not a smudge. But she, it's like she worships this couch. There's nothing more important than this couch. And I know that's kind of extreme, but we have to keep an eye out on things in our lives that are trying to take the place of God. And even more so, and I think this really applies to leaders in the church or, or other Christians, is Christian stuff can be put in front of God. You know that you can put Christian music ahead of a God. When you're so more concerned about Christian music, you'd rather listen to that than listen to God. But, but it's Christian music. It should be okay. You have to evaluate what your priorities are. Well, what about, uh, especially for leaders in the church, these programs that we put together to, to help people, you know, and these programs in and of themselves are great things, but we begin to place the program ahead of God. We begin to neglect our personal time and worship of God to make sure that the programs work. You know, so it's, it's, it's so easy to let stuff get in between you and God, but remember that God's worthy of his worship and it should always come first. Finally, in Matthew 10, 37, it says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know, the ultimate goal is just to make sure you're putting Christ first. It doesn't mean neglect your family. It doesn't mean neglect your wife or your children or your mothers or your fathers. It absolutely does not mean that. But it does mean that you put God first ahead of all. So that means that if you have an option of, well, when we look at this time, if, uh, the people that are, 
that have, have saved and put God first and they have family members that aren't saved. That can cause problems and strife. But what you never do is put down God so you can repair your family relationship. The ultimate goal is to get your family saved so that relationship can be built up. But that's what he's saying. He who loves me more than my, my family is, is God always comes first. And finally, in this, this kind of situation, something I wanted to bring up, and it's something that has affected me in my life, so I, I realize how important it is, is, is debt. I mean, we find these things in life that we just have to have. You ever got a, ever got a magazine, as you start flipping through it, you just you find like 25 things that you didn't know you had to have until that very moment. But at that point, now you can't live without it. You know, and we see these things and we begin to, to spend money that we don't have. And we begin to make debt. And the problem with debt, and I know I've been there, I've, I've been where I've had so much debt that it has such a stranglehold on me that I couldn't do anything for the kingdom of God. And what happens is, is what if you have $100,000 in consumer debt and then God says, calls you to go to, to Africa to be a missionary? God calls you to preach somewhere. You need to up and move somewhere for the calling of God. If you have debt, you can't do that. So make sure that, and I know this is kind of a side note, but God is always first in your life and don't let other things get in the way, especially going into debt to put, to put something else in your way. The next thing we're talking about is how we're supposed to worship. And this verse, um, for me, has always been a, a kind of a tough one to understand. And it says, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Doesn't that seem like a cryptic message? What does in spirit and in truth means? You know, you kind of have this like general idea of what it means, kind of how it reads, but I know I didn't know exactly what that meant. It was just confusing to me. In spirit and in truth. Well, worshiping in truth is to worship God through Jesus. To realize that Jesus is truth and to worship is an understanding of what he did and the price he paid. To worship in truth is to worship with an attitude of understanding that, that Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. To worship in truth is to come from an attitude that I am pure, that I am holy, I've been made new, and that I can come to God with a clear conscience and nothing standing in the way. That is the truth that you're worshiping from. And finally, to worship in spirit is in that new realm which God has given you revelation of when you were given the spirit of Christ inside of you. The understanding that you've been giving a new spirit, a new life in you, and that's where you're worshiping from. To actually worship in spirit, you have to be saved. You have to be given that new spirit. And that's what it means. When you worship God with, a, with an honest attitude of heart from the understanding that Jesus is your Savior and he's made you renewed and redeemed and the understanding that you've been given a new spirit, that's how you're worshiping in spirit and in truth. Amen? Worship is reserved for God. We talked about this briefly already. But in Matthew 4.10, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now this is when Satan was tempting Jesus in the, in the desert, and he said, uh, If you'll just bow down before me, I'll give you everything that you can see. And Jesus said, No. There's nothing that you can give me that's worth not worshiping my God, not worshiping the Father. So we find that worship is reserved completely and only for God. And you see it throughout the Bible uh, that when people began to be worshipped, if someone is starting to receive worship, they, they freak out. One of my favorite uh, sayings is, is they, they tore their clothes. You ever read that, they tore their clothes? I always wondered, is that a... Uh, is that an expression, or were they actually just ripping clothes off whenever they thought something was going bad? I don't know. I think I might have to look into that. But, I mean, can you imagine someone getting mad? and Put it back on! Put it back on! But it says they tore their clothes in John. And when he's been given, in the book of Revelation, John has been given that revelation from the, from the angel. And he sees the angel, and he drops on his face, and it begins to worship. And even the angel created by God says no get up you can't do I'm an angel I'm not God you cannot worship me and he pulls John to his feet and then do you remember when Paul and Barnabas are going into to uh, I forget the name of the city but they said oh he's Zeus and he's Hermes and they start to begin to call them God and it says they, they tore their clothes and and they uh, 
I said, no, stand up. We are just men. There's nothing. We're just men. Do not worship us. And it's a big deal. These people begin to be worshipped by other people. They're like, hey, you got to knock this off. I am not God. There's, there's, I think there's serious consequences to elevating yourself to that position as well. <laughs> and then it, <clears throat> that was at Leicester was the city. But anything we put in front of God is worship more than he. So, you know, be very careful that, that you're not putting anything that you value more than God. He is always first. Now, something comes to mind. When you put God first, that doesn't mean that you can't have anything that you like in your life, that you can't have stuff that you enjoy, that you can't do these things. The key is, especially with stuff, is not that you can't have stuff. You know, if you go out and buy yourself a nice big TV, I have a nice big TV upstairs. That doesn't mean you're putting that in front of God. It's okay to go out and buy a TV. As long as the stuff doesn't have you. Is that what rules your life? If, you're, if your TV were to explode, would that be the end of your world? You know, I mean, there's been times in my life where I had stuff I thought if it broke or if it went away, I couldn't afford a new one. Oh, my life was over. What am I going to do without TV? But the question is, does that stuff run your life? Does it have you or do you have your stuff? I just want to make that clear. It's okay to have stuff. It's okay to, to do those things, just as long as it doesn't take a place, a priority of God. And I used to play video games, and that was something I, I used to love video games. And uh, I don't play them much anymore, not because I don't like them. I still like them. I don't have time. But I remember they used to kind of invade my life. I would play for hours and hours and hours and hours, and to the neglect of my family, God, time with the Bible, and, and I really had to start watching that. And I think we all have those things that if we don't aren't careful, they can creep into our life. And just keep aware of that. It's not that, that you can't have those things or enjoy those things. It's that you just can't let those things control you. And the final thing I want to point out is that Jesus did receive worship. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. And there's so much to him being God that's so important to the gospel and our salvation. But I do want to point out that when people say, oh, there's nowhere in the Bible that, that says that Jesus is God, you see it all over the place. And one of the most important things is, is do you remember when he was on the boat and the big storm came up and the disciples came and woke him up and shook him out of bed and says, oh, you have little faith. And he waves his hand and he calms the storm. And the disciples began to worship him. Now, we've just talked about when Paul and Barnabas got worshipped. They're like, hey, no, we can't do this. And to their distress so much that they ripped their clothes. But Jesus receives that worship. We also find in uh, the, I believe it's a guy with the lame hand, Jesus, or the lame leg, and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Jews freak out. And he's like, you can't forgive sins because only God can receive forgive sins. And and Jesus said, well, would this be easier? Is it, is it easier for a man to heal somebody than to forgive their sins? So he says, get up and walk so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins here on earth. Another instance, we're showing that Jesus is God. He does all the same thing as God. But there's many times that Jesus is worshipped and he always receives that worship as God. Which also means as we worship Jesus, you're not, it's not somebody else in place of God. You're, when you worship Jesus, you are worshipping God. Amen. In Matthew 22, verse 37, it says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. When we worship God, there should be nothing holding us back. We shouldn't be uh, worried about what other people are thinking, what other people are saving. Do you remember David, as he's coming back with the ark, and he's basically dancing out around the ark in his underwear, and Beth, uh, his, one of his wives is looking out the window and he, she says and she's upset that he's out there in front of all these young priestesses basically in his undergarments dancing around in front of the Lord and she's upset and what are you doing acting a fool like that why are you being so dumb and this is the, the New Wayne translation and uh, <laughs> I don't think you actually find the word dumb in the Bible anywhere but that's how I see it happening and he, he says, you know what? I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Not only did he say that I will be humiliated in your eyes, because she's obviously embarrassed of what he did, he says, but I will worship God in such a way that even I would be embarrassed, and I won't care. I'm giving God that glory because he deserves it, and he is worthy of it. 
And in 1 Timothy 2.8, it says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Are we afraid when we're in worship to lift up our hands and give God glory? I know I was when I was growing up. This is why. Because I'm like, I want to lift up my hands. I know. Is, is, is anybody... Anybody? Did anybody see me? I hope. I hope nobody saw me. There's. I don't know. There's something in us that we're afraid that if we raise our hands, that the whole congregation. You're gonna hear that as the music stops and everybody just looks around and stares at you. And and it's just not the case. I know that's what I felt like. But the truth is, nobody's here for you. <laughs> we're here to worship God. I don't know if you guys watch me. If you ever watch me when I'm up here, but my eyes are closed most of the time because. I don't want to be distracted by anything else but God. The only time I open my eyes is quick to figure out where I'm at in the Word so I don't mess up like I did a few times this morning. But I'm not worried about what other people are doing. I'm here to worship God. And if I could play guitar with my hands up in the air, I would. It's a little, it's a little more difficult. <laughs> but, uh, and you know, the significance of lifting your hands, I've always thought about, you know, why do we lift up holy hands? You know, Paul says do it without wrath, without doubting. But, uh, you know, there's a couple things that it symbolizes. Is one, when you see the depictions of a robber in the street, what's the first thing that he says? Put your hands up. He's got a gun. Put your hands up. So you put your hand up. Why do you put your hands up? Because with your hands are up in the air, you're completely surrendered. You've completely opened yourself up in surrender. And in this case, you're wanting to make sure that they know you're not going to do anything so you don't get shot. But it's the same thing when we lift our hands. We're saying, God, there is nothing between me and you. I'm completely surrendered to you. There's not, there's, I'm not holding up a wall. I'm, not holding up, I'm surrendering myself completely to you. Do what you will. And the other thing is, the other thing it symbolizes is like when a child walks up to you and puts his hands up to be picked up. When you... And your kid is doing the same thing. They've surrendered themselves completely to you to be picked up so that they take full, you take full control over their body. They no longer have any control over where their position is because they've surrendered themselves completely to you. And it's done in an attitude of love and in an attitude of trust. And that's why we do those things when we worship God. That's why we raise our hands. It's an attitude of love and an attitude of trust saying, God, pick me up. I am fully yours. I surrender myself to you completely. Do with me what you will. And that's where that comes from. Another thing is, do you ever, when, when you're at work, are you ever caught giving God glory? When you're in front of people, do you ever say, praise God, thank you, God? Or are we afraid that someone might hear us and what will they think? I've been there. You know, I've, I've, I've had to fight that. I, to be honest with you, I still deal with that sometimes where there's something ingrained in me that I'm, that, I, that I'm so concerned about what someone might think that I still struggle with that. But I thank God that he's a faithful God and that in him that I have strength, that in him I can do anything. As a matter of fact, Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. So in the strength of the Lord, I began to, to praise God. I give God glory and I make a point to do it because it's an area that I need to grow. But that's something we need to be so aware of. Are we ashamed of God? Or are we going to give him glory no matter what? And finally, like I was talking about earlier, this is the same way. We need to, to teach our children how to, to unashamedly worship God. You know, the Bible says that if you, you uh, raise up a child in the way that he should go, when he is old, he'll not depart from it. So our children, which is why we have children's church, which is why we're trying to teach them and begin to mold them and develop them into their own relationship with Christ, is we want them to know that this, this is not only is this okay, you don't have to worry about what people think, but this is, this is important. This is, this is who you should be. We're trying to instill that culture in them even at a young age. But we're the examples. When we teach them how to worship, you know, your children are not going to be afraid to lift their hands and worship when they look up and see Dad doing it, when they look up and see Grandma and Grandpa doing it. That is going to help them strengthen their resolve to be able to unashamedly and unabashedly worship God just like that we should be doing. Worship, like I talked about earlier as well, is never-ending. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. The fruit of lips that give thanks is worship. 
when you realize that you're so thankful, and I told you it's this automatic response, it shouldn't be something we think about, it should be automatic. When we give thanks for what he's done for us, as he's given us a new life, as he gave everything so that we could be redeemed and made new and be in fellowship with him, the fruit of lips that give thanks is worship. That is what is a natural reaction when you are thankful for what God done and you even begin to say that out loud. Thank you, God, for making me brand new. That is worship. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 80, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Anybody else been confused by that verse? Pray without ceasing, rejoice always. You know, I, I think when I first read that, I'm like, how am I supposed to pray ceasingly and rejoice always and do anything else? You know, how am I supposed to go through my life? I can't even, you know, ask the cashier to ring me up because I'll be praying and I can't. But he's not talking about running your mouth all day long. He's talking about an attitude in your heart. And same with rejoicing always. It doesn't mean you need to be singing the entire day, but there's an attitude in your heart that when something happens, is the first thing you do to give thanks to God or is it to complain or is it to... You know, give thanks to yourself because you just did something awesome, or do you give thanks to God? When you succeed, who are you giving glory? Do you, do you revel in your own accomplishments, or do you revel in God's accomplishment through you? And that pray without ceasing and also rejoicing without ceasing is that, that attitude of heart that at any given moment you can be praying to God. You don't have set times or set places, but as you go through your day and you see, you know, uh, an accident, you begin to, to thank God for, for a wholeness in those people's body. You begin to thank God that no one's, no one's been hurt. And you give God glory for that. Or when you see someone narrowly, you know, when you have something where you narrowly missed an accident or you, something should have happened and it didn't happen, you give thanks to God that, that it worked out in your favor. That's that attitude that at any given time you're always giving glory to God. And finally, something that's so important to understand is this bit right here. In everything, give thanks. So many of us read that and think it says, for everything, give thanks. And that is absolutely not the case. It says, in everything, and sometimes bad stuff happens. Sometimes the car breaks down, and by no means is anyone saying, thank God that your car broke down. That's doesn't make any sense. But in everything, give thanks. Your car breaks down. You don't thank God for the car breaking down. You thank God that he's got a plan to repair your vehicle. You thank God that he's got something that's going to happen so that you have a way to work. You thank God that this doesn't affect who you are. This isn't your worth. You thank God that it's going to work out. Because the Bible says that everything works to the good for those who are called according to his purpose and those who love him. It works out to your good. You just give thanks for that. No matter what's happening, you thank God that it's going to work out. I need to get moving faster. As unto the Lord, Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Everything that we do, I'm sorry, in Colossians 3, 23 through 24, it says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men. One thing, everything that we should do should be a representation of, of our, our love to God, our worship to God. When you go to work, you should be doing the best that you can do. Matter of fact, in this day and age, Christians should be the most sought-after workers in all of the United States, all of the world, because their work ethic should be so far and above everybody else's because they're working unto God. When you do your work for God, you do the best work that you can for God. And that's really what Christians do. We don't do this not because we're trying to please our boss. Now, as a side effect of doing great work for God, you know your boss is going to be happy for you, and you're going to find favor. You're going to find promotion. But we don't do it to please our boss. We don't do it to please men. And we don't do it to satisfy our ego. We don't do it to show how good we can be. Now, if someone says, hey, you're doing a great job at work, by all means, accept that and thank them for that. And it's okay for someone to say you're doing a great job. And it's actually okay to feel good. However, there's, and I, I know there's, there's this fine line that you have to walk that you don't let it get to you. You don't begin to think, look how awesome I am 
But you begin to say, look how awesome God is through me. And because of this, I am able to be an incredible worker. And I, and I am able to be sought after. And you're going to find favor as you do things heartily as for the Lord rather than men. Because they're going to see that work ethic. And truthfully, that's what people want. That's what employers want is men and women with godly work ethic. They just call it work ethic. But a godly work ethic actually meets the definition of the perfect worker. Amen. <clears throat> Hebrews thirteen sixteen it says, "Do not and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased." Giving is worship. When we give our tithes and offerings to God, we are actually worshiping God. And you don't have to worry; we're not going to do another offering, so you can just accept this teaching as uh, just a normal teaching. I'm not going to try to squeeze some more out of you at the end of the day. But tithing is a way that we honor God, and basically, God says everything in this world is mine, and I give it to you to be a steward. And He gives you everything that you give, and it's all His. But He says, "You know what? To honor Me, I would just like you to to give 10% back to Me. It's all His, but He He lets you keep 90%. He lets you use for whatever you want to use, and all He asks is for the tithe." And remember the beginning, we are talking about the definition of, of homage. It's something done or given an acknowledgement, a consideration of the worthiness of worth of another. We give this gift to God because we love Him and we're so thankful. And truthfully, we should be giving everything to Him. But He recognizes that you know, your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows you need money. We live in a, in a world where money is what this world runs on. We have to have money to pay the bills, pay the rent, pay the electric bill, food. And and God understands that. And he's like, you know what? Use what you need to use, but still honor me. Show me first where your honor is. And I'll tell you what. My wife and I's lives changed incredibly when we finally decided to give God, uh, God honor first. The first fruits of our So the first thing before we do, when we get a paycheck off the top, God gets what belongs to him. And uh, we didn't used to live like that. And I remember we would, because this is our excuse this is our paycheck, and we got rent coming up. And if we tithe, we can't pay rent. And, and that, was, well, that was our rationalization in our head. If we tithe, we're not going to be able to pay rent, and then we're going to get kicked out on the street, and then we're going to not have any place to live and live out of our car, and then we'll be able to keep the car because we're not going to have enough money. And, you know, this, this whole rationalization goes through your head. But the problem was we weren't tithing. We are still bouncing the rent check, and nothing was working out. You know, so we said, you know what? God said, test me in this, so we're going to put God first. And off the top, we begin to give God what belonged to him. And the funny thing is, the same, we're in the same situation. If I give God his tithe, I don't have enough money to pay rent in my account. But we'd resolved in our hearts to do it anyway. You know, they say the last thing on a man to get saved is his wallet. <laughs> but we resolved in our heart to do it anyway. And it was absolutely amazing to watch God work because... Checks wouldn't bounce. All of a sudden, money would come in that we didn't know where it was coming from. You know, all of a sudden, oh, here's an extra check from the government, or here's, you know, a, a, your tax check was wrong. Here's more. We'd be given gifts by people. I mean, just all these things would happen. And it was actually fun kind of watching to see how God was going to do it this time. Or even something as simple as we put the rent check in the mail, trusting God that something was going to work out, and they just didn't cash it till the next paycheck when we had money in the account. I mean, watching God work was absolutely amazing because we decided to honor him first. And I tell you now, and if you talk to any mature Christian when you're dealing with tithing, they say, you know, when people say you can't, we can't afford to tithe, the truth is you can't afford not to because God will honor you in that. And we see that when Jesus was born and he was in the manger and the wise men came down, how did they show Jesus worship? How did they show him honor? They gave, he gave him gifts of gold and, and myrrh, and that's how they worshiped them. And then do you remember the lady who went up to Jesus and she poured out that expensive bottle of alabaster perfume on his feet? And Judas got all upset because this bottle of perfume was worth basically an entire year's wages. As, and she just dumped it out on Jesus' feet. And Judas gets upset because he's the, he's the coffer, he's the money keeper, and he knows that his excuse is, oh, we could give this to the poor. But really meant was, oh, I could give this to me. But 
he was upset. And Jesus says, you know, while I'm here, she is worshiping me. And she, she worshiped Jesus. That was her gift was with this, this bottle of expensive perfume. So we see that giving somebody something is an act of worship. It's actually how you show your wife honor. I mean, how many of you got flowers for your wife or jewelry for your wife because you're showing her honor? That's, how, that's a very common way to show someone honor. And in Philippians 4.18, it says, But I have received everything full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Aphrodite what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. When we give to God, he's actually pleased with us. It says it's an acceptable sacrifice, a fragrant aroma. And I'll be honest with you, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need it. God can work his plans without our money. But it's an opportunity for us to grow and be givers because God is a giver. And because God is a giver and we're made in his image, he wants us to be givers as well. And I said, you know, he doesn't need our money. In Acts 17.24, it says, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. He made everything. It is all his. He doesn't need our money. And the truth is, this... This giving is more than just dropping money in a basket. If all you're doing is dropping a check in a basket, that's not worship. You're just dropping money in a basket. But it's that attitude of heart behind it. When you say, God, I'm doing this to honor you. I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to show something in return. With that attitude, that's where the blessing comes from that. And it has nothing to do with volume. It has nothing to do with how much you're putting in. You know, do you remember the story of the, the, the widow and she put the widow's mite in? And it was two pennies. And we would think that that's worth nothing. What could, you know, and the way we think, what could the church do with that? What could we do with that too? I mean, we couldn't even, I mean, that's not even going cover tax on anything. But, God, but Jesus said she's given more than anybody in this room because it was all she had. You know, we talk about bringing a tenth of, of uh, the tenth off the top, you know, that, that first fruit of your, of your labor for God. She gave everything. And it was two pennies. And Jesus said she gave more than anybody in here. And the truth is, some of us have been blessed to have bigger incomes than others. And you just give us a proportion of what you have. You know, the person that makes $1,000 a week and only gives $50 a week is giving less than the, than the lady who makes $100 a week and she gives $10. He gave 50. That's what do you mean? He gave he gave more less. That's five times as much. But he just gave it what little left he had. He wasn't there's no honor in that. That's just hey, I have some stuff left over. I don't need this. Here God, you can have it. That's not how we come to it. That's with a heart of worship we come to God with that. Amen. Next thing. We need to make sure we're worshiping at all times when the going is good. And we're going to look at a few examples of people uh, worshiping God in different examples, uh, different times in the, in the New Testament. In Acts 3, 6-9, says, But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Now that's a reason to shout and praise God. Never his entire life he's been laid out in front of the temple on a on a on a, on a pallet or a mat. And when God healed him, he began to give him because God made him whole. God redeemed him, and he began to praise and worship God. And that's an easy time to worship God. You know, it's uh, when stuff is good, it's easy to worship God. When things are going great, I mean, you see just miracles happening, and it's easy to give God glory and honor. And, we say, and just because it's easy doesn't mean we shouldn't. We should continue to worship God. But we should also, you know, I've seen people that have had an incredible miracle in their life. Just been completely healed of it. We knew a, a gentleman completely healed of cancer. And at the moment he praised God. And a few months later we never saw him again. And then we, used to, we knew a guy that had hepatitis C. And she, 
she, she went in and uh, after we laid hands on her, she was healed. And she went to the doctors and they, all they could see was the antibodies for hepatitis C. They knew she had it because they could see the antibodies in her blood. But there was not a single, uh, any evidence other than that of hepatitis C being in her, in her blood. Incredible miracle. And, and right away she began to praise and worship God. But then, once again, someone that we just didn't see anymore. It's like they have these great miracles. And... Uh, they worship God in the good times, but when other stuff's not going their way, they kind of slide back. And we need to be very careful of that. Because we should be worshiping when the going is rough as well. In Acts 16.25, it says, But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. This is a story we actually talked about it last week, I think. Um, when they're in prison, and they begin to worship God. In prison, begin to worship God. And there's an earthquake and all the, the doors open and, and because they were worshiping God, God did a great miracle for them. And I've talked about earlier, these breakthroughs happen in worship. You know, if you got sickness in your body, but you decide to worship God anyway, that's when a breakthrough can happen because you know what, you're trusting God completely and fully. And in this case, the, the in prison, and the first thing to do is decide to worship God. Even though the times were tough and rough and they were there, not because they should have been. They worship God and a miracle happens. But you know when I think the hardest time to worship is? Because I find when things are going great, it's easy to worship God. And when things are going bad, that's God's the first place I turn because a lot of times I don't know where else to turn. I just turn to God and begin to give Him praise and I know that I can trust Him to deal with the situation. The hardest times though is when it's just going. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. But you can't say that seven times fast. <laughs> and then in Ephesians 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly places in Christ. Now we're seeing times where they're saying, blessed be the God of the Father. They're worshiping God, but there's nothing really going on. Something great didn't happen. Something horrible didn't happen. But in their daily lives, in the, in the, the church, did I say something wrong again? Last week, remember when I was messing up and said, uh, when I was talking about the, the gal's face and rubbing my leg? Apparently she was keeping track of every time I, I uh, stumbled in my words. What, what am I on today? <laughs> That's my wife for you. Praise God. I love her anyway, though. So, but anyway, this is a time in their life when there's, there's, they're just living, but they're worshiping God anyway. And I think this is the hardest time because we just get complacent. We kind of almost forget that God's there because we don't need him to help us out of a tough situation and we're not seeing the miracles. And all of a sudden, you look up and it's been two weeks and you realize that I haven't spent any time in the Word. I haven't... Uh, I haven't, you know, that, that praying and, and worshiping constantly, like I haven't been doing that because we almost feel like we only call on God when there's a need or a reason to, but God wants us to be in fellowship with him at all times. And something else that I really like to point out, though, is it says, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, when we're blessed by God, it's not so that we can be lifted up. You know, when you get that raise or promotion at work, the reason you, you are honored, the God, you know, the, the Bible says that he who is faithful with little will be faithful in much. And God sees that you're faithful in little and he begins to bless you and you get the promotions and you get the extra money. And it's not just so you can be lifted up yourselves. And it's not that that you can't have nice things, like I said earlier. Actually, it says if you put first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. However, the reason you are blessed is so that you can be a blessing to others. The reason you are comforted is so you can be a comfort to others. And that's the reason why God lifts us up and, and blesses us, so that we can actually do the same for other people. And a matter of fact, a lot of times, that's how God's doing it to you. When you see somebody blessing you, that's God working through somebody else to bless you, going through that same thing. You see the cycle as God uses other people to touch your lives. 
In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And once again, that's that verse where we get our name from, Living Hope Family Church. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. This is why we rejoice at all times. We have obtained an inheritance which is unperishable, that no one can take away. And this is why they did this was their culture. This is why they worshipped at all times, because they realized what God had done for them. According to his great mercy, caused you to be born again. You've been made new. And it says, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, and is protected by the power of God. Nothing can take that away for you, and that's why we rejoice. And it says, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trial. The necessary part, that's just kind of life. You know, uh, do you remember the story of the guy who built his, his house on the rock and there was the one that built his house on the sand? And it says, the wind and the rains came, but it came for both of them. The, the wind and rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Trials are necessary. They're just life. It's what we live as we go through it. But thank God we can give God glory and honor because he's given something that none of those circumstances can take away. Oh. And finally, the last thing I want to look at is worship is eternal. In Revelations 5, 11 through 13, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was a myriad of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive the power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. When we're in heaven, we're going to be worshiping God nonstop. And I can guarantee you there's not a one of us who's going to be worried if someone's watching us lift our hands. You know, when Jesus prayed, you know, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're looking for here. That eternal worship that we see in heaven is what we should be living on this life now. Not waiting for one day in heaven, but actually having a little bit of heaven here on earth and giving God the glory and honor that he deserves. Amen? Well, this is, this is who we are as a church. We're a church who worships. We're a church who loves God and is so thankful for who he is. And that is something that is so important to the culture of Living Hope Family Church. And, and uh, let's go ahead and show that here on earth that this is who we are. Amen?